It was June the 13th, 2004, in Arlington, Texas. Matt Starr, a 28-year-old landscaper, was sitting behind four-year-old Nicholas O'Brien. Together, they were watching the Texas Rangers play baseball. And everything was cordial until a foul ball came in their direction. The ball landed right at the feet of little Nicholas. But Star jumped over the row, pushed the little four-year-old kid back into the seats, and pounced on the baseball. Despite the fact that Nicholas's mom swatted her with her program, and the fact that the Texas fans all chanted, Give the boy the ball! Give the boy the ball! Matt Starr held on to his baseball. Rangers players saw the incident, and they compensated Nick with souvenirs which only highlighted Star's selfish behavior. And speaking of highlights, guess what was all over television that night? Da-da-da, da-da-da. That's supposed to be the ESPN theme. How's it go? Nick, how's it go? How does it go? How does it go? Na-na-na, na-na-na. The evil Matt Starr was pictured stealing a baseball from a baby. When Mrs. O'Brien was interviewed on Good Morning America, she said, I told him he had trampled a four-year-old boy to get a baseball. And all he replied was, oh, well. Evidently, the public humiliation finally got to Matt Starr, who, by the way, used to be a high school youth pastor. And four days later, he sent a letter of apology to the O'Brien family. He also gave to Nicholas the baseball. And in addition, he bought the whole family tickets to a future Rangers game. Matt gained forgiveness. He purged his guilt. He began to restore his reputation because he was willing to make restitution. You see, this story of Matt Starr teaches us that a repentant attitude is shown not only by seeking God's forgiveness, but by wanting to make right the damages that we've caused. Which is exactly what we learn in Leviticus chapter 5 and 6. The trespass offering not only included a sacrifice to God, but a payment of restitution to the person that you had harmed. Verse 1 of chapter 6 begins, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, hey, is that my lawnmower you borrowed last summer in your garage? Or about a pledge? Hey, when are you going to pay me that money you owe me? Or about a robbery? or if he has extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely, hey, someone told me you found a wallet full of cash. When are you going to call me? In any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which he found 
or all that about which he has sworn falsely. In other words, it's not enough to cry for God's forgiveness. You're not really repentant unless you're willing to replenish the loss and repair the damage that you might have caused. In fact, proper restitution calls for a penalty added to the value of the damages. He continues, He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. When you sinned by defrauding another person, there were costs to the victim beyond just the market value of what you stole. This 20% more takes care of the extra time and effort that your sin has caused the victim. Now, i got to tell you a funny story. I have a hard time pronouncing it. But I love what's in this bottle. I love Worcestershire sauce. And, and I put it not only on steak and hamburgers, but, but I have an unorthodox use for it. I also put it on my baked potatoes and my, even my mashed potatoes. Try it sometimes. You'll like it. But I love Worcestershire sauce. It's great. And Kathy always buys the big bottle. I brought it with me tonight. Honey, I hope you didn't mind. In fact, I want to tell you a little story about what happens in the Adams family. Hopefully, you'll be able to appreciate a little family humor. I want you to notice above the logo, there's a yellow stripe. And you know what this yellow stripe says? 20% more. See that? 20% more. Now, I have a hard time saying Worcestershire sauce, but my youngest son, Mac, he has such a difficult time saying Worcestershire sauce that he's given up. He doesn't even try. And so now, at the family dinner table, Mac will say, hey, how about passing me the 20% more? <laughs> and it's really funny now. You can ask at our dinner table, you can ask for Worcestershire sauce, or you can just ask for 20% more, and you'll get past the very same bottle. Now, I bring it up because the 20% more, or the one-fifth penalty that was added to the trespass offering, was in essence the steak sauce on the offering. You see, if you failed to fulfill an obligation to God, or if you violated another person, it was considered a sin. You had a debt to pay to God. A sacrifice or a lamb was required. But what made the sacrifice tasty to God was the love that you showed to the person you had harmed by not just restoring what you had stolen, but by adding to it 20% more. That was the steak sauce on the trespass offering. That's what made it tasty and delicious to God. The 20% more added to the sacrifice in a very unique way. Now in the remainder of Leviticus 6 and 7, Moses goes back over the five sacrifices that we discussed last time. Do you remember the five sacrifices of Judaism? First of all, there was the burnt offering. Then there was the grain offering, followed by the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. And all five speak of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. 
In the burnt offering, the sacrifice was totally consumed. It was all burned on the altar. And it reminds us of the completeness of Jesus' sacrifice. As they say in sports, Jesus left it all on the field. He held nothing back. On the cross, he gave his all for you and me, the burnt offering. The grain offering speaks of Jesus' innocence. Remember, he could die in our place because he had no sin of his own. There was no leaven or honey in Jesus. The peace offering was the one offering that was shared. A portion was eaten by the worshiper. Another portion, the thigh and the breast, were given to the priest. And then the fat was burned to God. And the peace offering speaks of the fellowship that we can have with Jesus. How that on the cross, he not only forgives us, but he paid to feed us. He becomes our sustenance. Jesus is our portion. The sin offering atoned or covered our sin. And this was the crux of the cross. For God, even today, rains down judgment on sin. What covers us is the blood of Jesus Christ, the sin offering. And finally, the trespass offering served the same purpose, but with a little different slant. Sin is missing the mark. It's falling short of God's standard due to our frailty, due to our weakness. But a trespass is more. It's stepping across God's boundaries. It's an act of defiance, a rebellion. And it too needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus, thus the trespass offering. Now these five sacrifices speak of Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, they also speak of our spiritual growth. Follow with me here. You remember Romans chapter 12 verse 1 encourages us to present our bodies to God. What? A sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. God's no longer concerned with dead carcasses. Now he wants living sacrifices. But follow through this. Let's reverse the order. We violate someone. We act like a jerk. We rob someone. We steal. We hurt someone in some ugly way. We get caught. Suddenly we're sorry for what we've done, the harm we've caused. We try to make it right. What is that? It's the trespass offering. But the Holy Spirit has a way of convicting our hearts of even more. And it suddenly dawns on us that we've sinned against God as well as that person. That we need a Savior. That we have a problem with God as well. And so we come to the sin offering. We realize that we need a Savior. We trust in Jesus. He enters our hearts and gives us rest. We begin to fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And He becomes our peace offering. This creates within us a desire to live for God, to serve God, to be a grain offering with no leaven, with no phony sweetness or honey. And finally, we fall so in love with Jesus that it's our utmost desire to be totally consumed by Him, to give Him all that we are. And what is that but the burnt offering? There is so much that we can glean from going through these five Old Testament sacrifices. And the rest of chapters 6 and 7 provide details to the priests for carrying these sacrifices out. Verse 8 tells us, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it, a perpetual flame. Verse 10, And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen trousers he shall put on his body, 
and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Baby, keep the fire stoked at all times. That's what God's telling us. I hope this is your attitude toward your love for Jesus Christ. I hope you keep the fire on your altar burning 24-7. You know, too many Christians, oh, they'll spend time worshiping God. They'll spend a few moments in prayer, but then they want to take some time off. Hey, I need my downtime. They go home from church, and they figure they've done their duty. Hey, I did the church thing today. So what? Let me go home and knock back a few beers and relax in front of the television watch some things that I probably shouldn't. Why is it that in serving God, you know, we feel like sometimes we get a free pass to then turn around and do what we want, indulge ourselves. We assume God doesn't care if I take a little time now for me. Hey, God does care. He, he wants us to keep the fire stoked at all times. He wants the fire on our altar always burning. He wants our devotion, our dedication to Jesus to be burning at all times. God told the priest to be vigilant, to never let the fire die out. And he says the same to us. Well, verse 14 tells us, This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. Remember, the grain was always mixed with oil. We talked about this before. And you are the grain. You're rather earthy, I might say. You're kind of blowing the wind from time to time. But you are the grain, like grain that comes from the dust. We, too, have risen from the dust. But the oil is the Holy Spirit. And if human effort desires to be blessed by God, it needs to be mixed with the Holy Spirit. If we want to do a work for God, we need the Spirit of God. Well, the grain offering was a handful of grain taken by the priest, mixed with oil, cooked in a pan, and then wholly burned on the altar before the Lord. Verse 16 tells us that the leftover grain went to the priest and his family. It was for their, them to eat. And in verses 17 through 23, Remind us of how the grain offering was cooked. The grain offering was always cooked up either with or in or topped off with the oil. And let me say, whenever we cook up something for God, we need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is in the mix. Verse 24 tells us, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. Now when you contrast the first sacrifice and the last two sacrifices, the burnt offering with the sin and trespass offerings, it forms a beautiful picture really of the work of Jesus. For the cross had an impact 
both in heaven, the burnt offering, and on earth, the sin offering. In heaven, it satisfies the demands of a holy God. On earth, the cross cleanses the heart of a corrupt sinner. The effect of the cross, in essence, is both judicial in heaven and effectual on earth. In the court of God, we're pardoned because of the cross of Jesus. But in the heart of man, we're purified. On the one hand, the cross pleases God. On the other hand, the cross cleanses sin. The cross makes us right with God eternally, but it makes the heart righteous internally. It has that twofold work. It is both the burnt offering and the sin offering. Well, verse 26 tells us, The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten, in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall not be broken. And, and if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. Now, now go back. I read that wrong when I read it. But, but notice what it says. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting that God is fond of cracked pots? Is it just me or does that give you hope? God loves cracked pots. God likes to use cracked pots. Only a loving, kind, merciful God would be so fond of cracked pots. Never forget, God loves broken pottery and broken people. Hey, it's the proud person that God won't use, not the broken. God loves to use the broken person. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. In other words, the cut of the meat from which the blood was drawn was burned, not eaten. Chapter 7 tells us. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, the fat in the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys. He shall remove. You ever had any of that Boston, uh, what is it, Boston butt barbecue? You ever had that? That is delicious stuff. That's what he's talking about here, the flanks and the fat. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. Now we talked about this a little bit last time. But though the fatty portions are the tastiest, God knew that in the fat there was a lot of cholesterol. And there was a lot of stuff that caused high blood pressure and heart disease. And this is why God told Moses that the fat belonged to him. The fat was always sacrificed to God. It was never eaten by the priest. And I can imagine the priest over the years complaining about that. How come we don't get to eat the Boston butt? 
How come God keeps all the good barbecue for himself? But hey, God knew what would be harmful to us. That's why he said it wasn't because he liked the taste of it. It was because he knew it would be harmful to you. And therefore he said the fat belongs to me. In reality, God is into saving people from what will harm them. This is the wisdom behind all his commands. So often we think that God is robbing us. God is trying to keep us down. God is taking something away from us that we want. No, he's not. God is protecting you. His commands are protection. Sin can be pleasurable for a season, but the aftermath is heartache. God knows that. And so he seeks to protect us. Verse 7 tells us the trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. The sin and the trespass offerings were very similar. I think it's a bit of an oversimplification, but the sin offering was in essence a sin against God, whereas the trespass offering was a sin against your fellow man. Think of it as the two bars of the cross. For Jesus died with both types of sin in mind. The vertical bar of the cross speaks to the fact that Jesus wants to redeem us and reconcile us to God. But then the horizontal bar of the cross reminds us that Jesus wants to redeem us and reconcile us to our fellow man, to each other. And so he atones for sins we commit to God and sins we commit against one another. Well, verses 8 through 10 describe the part of the trespass offering that went to the priest if a burnt offering accompanied the sacrifice, the priest received the skin of the burnt offering. And if a grain offering was also offered along with a trespass offering, it was eaten by the priest. Whereas back in chapter 6, verse 23, when it was offered by itself, it was burned, not eaten. Verse 11 tells us, This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord, if he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Notice all of the olive oil. Talk about the proverbial greasy spoon. The priest ate at the greasy spoon every night. All these things were soaked in oil. Besides the cakes... As his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. Notice leavened bread was used in the peace offering, not the typical unleavened bread. Remember, a peace offering was for fellowship, not for forgiveness. And, and perhaps God is saying there by including leavened bread that he's willing to fellowship with us even if there's still some areas of our life that are contaminated and defiled and spoiled. Even if there's still a little leaven in your life, God is still willing to fellowship with you. He still loves you. Yes, God is at work to cleanse us, but as long as we're in Christ Jesus, we have access to God, fellowship with the Father. It is Jesus who made peace with God for us. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. 
and I wonder how the heave offering got its name. It's because you took it in your hands and you hoisted it up to God. You just kind of heaved it up to the Lord. Verses 15 through 18 teach that the priest's portion of the peace offering needed to be eaten shortly after it was slaughtered. Wait longer than two days and the sacrifice was unacceptable. Obviously, God didn't want the priests eating spoiled meat. But perhaps there's also a spiritual application. I think God wants our fellowship with Him to be fresh, not stale. If you don't feed your soul on God every couple of days, you too will become bland and tasteless and stale. This is why God always prefers fresh fellowship. Verse 19 tells us, the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall, be, shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, now next time we're going to talk about the differences between what is called clean and unclean. There was a ceremonial cleanliness within Judaism, and we're going to talk about that next time. But for now, just take this like your mama meant it when she told you to clean your hands before you came to the table. In verses 22 through 27, God again prohibits the eating of the fat and the drinking of the blood. Remember, fat spoke of abundance. And all our reserves belong to who? To the Lord. Blood speaks of life. It's the life giver. And sin calls for life to be poured out, not poured in. That's why you don't drink the blood. Verse 28 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, He who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord, the fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. If you heave a heave offering, what do you think you do with a wave offering? You wave it. And, and the other night when the hip-hop guys were doing the thing at the youth conference, you know, I was offering my wave offering, you know, to the Lord. You guys aren't hip-hop people, you know, but that's, that's, that's kind of what, what you do, I think. It's a wave offering. There's a chief rabbi by the name of Hertz who explains the wave offering as follows. First, the portion was laid upon the hands of the donor. Then the officiating priest placed his hands beneath those of the person offering the sacrifice. Notice this. And moved the portion first forward and backward, then upward and downward. Why don't you try that? Why don't you hold your Bible in your hand and why don't you move it forward and backward and then upward and downward. And, and what kind of shape are you forming there? What sign are you making? The cross. The cross. Isn't that interesting? 
that the wave offering formed the sign of the cross. Verses 31 and 30 through 34 tell us that every time a peace offering was sacrificed, the priest received two portions. He received the breast and the right thigh. It was just like going to Kentucky Fried Chicken and getting one of those two-piece chicken dinners. You get one piece of white meat and you get one piece of dark meat. Verse 35, this is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. On the same day God ordained the priests of Israel, he outlined their provisions. And it just proves his callings always come with his supply. Verse 37. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. These are the sacrifices of Israel. But there have to be people to offer these sacrifices. And chapter 8 is about the dedication of the priests of Israel. But it is much more personal and much more applicable than just that. For the New Testament tells us that we are not only living sacrifices, but we are also what? Priests. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We also are priests, and there are things here that apply to us. Now remember what a priest was. A priest represented God to the people, and he took the people to God. And we have that job today. I hope you know that you are the only Bible that some people will read. You are God's representative, His spokesperson. And I'm asking you tonight, how well are you representing Him? In addition, God listens to you about the people around you. Did you know that? That God listens to you? That God is taking suggestions from you about what He might want to do in the lives of the people around you? He gives us the authority and the responsibility to bring to Him the needs of the folks that are in our lives, that are in our walk. When was the last time you got down on your knees to lift up a brother who was down and out? We have a responsibility to intercede for each other as well. well verse 1 in chapter 8 tells us, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all of the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now a ceremony is about to occur. A dedication service. These priests are about to be presented to the nation and presented to God. And Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. Now a presentation is being arranged. But before there is a presentation, there is always preparation. And we need to remember this because it is a vital principle. 
before you present yourself to God on behalf of the people or present yourself to the people on behalf of God, there needs to be proper preparation in your life. And these are the steps you need to take. Verse 6. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Here is preparation A. Be washed. And how do we wash ourselves? Ephesians 5 verse 25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Here's how we wash off the grimy and dirty influences of this world by bathing our minds in Bible study with God's Word. And I want you men to notice whose responsibility is it there to provide cleansing and Bible study for the wife? Who does he give that responsibility to? The husband. Husband, love your wives. And how should you love your wives? By washing them with the water of the Word. Guys, you not only have a responsibility to get in the Word yourself, but you also have a responsibility to be teaching your wife and helping her get in the Word and reminding her of what the Scriptures say and getting her mind in the Word of God. That's your responsibility. Hey, all of us need to cleanse ourselves through the study of God's Word. The psalmist asks, How can a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers his own question by taking heed according to your Word. The world we live in is a dry and dusty place. You cannot walk around this dirty place that we live in without picking up a few raunchy thoughts and a few impure ideas. Hey, the average American is exposed to 562 commercial messages a day. Now, they come to you from different sources, on television, billboards, magazines, newspapers, the Internet, radio. But everyone, all day long, is trying to tell you what is important in life, what you can't live without, how you need to look, what you need to wear. The marketeers want to run your life and dictate your choices and tell you how to live. How in the world do we fight back? I'll tell you how we fight back. We need a steady diet of what God has to say. We need to stop listening to the world, and we need to listen to God. And the one reliable source are the pages of this book. I am convinced that we cannot get too much of Bible study. The Bible is God's written word, and we need to be in it as often as we can. Read this book. Come to church. Listen to CDs. Listen to DVDs and CSN and Internet. And, and go to our website and listen to all the resources, the Bible teaching resources we have posted there. You cannot get enough Bible study. Even when we read through the sacrifices and you don't understand half of what we just read, trust me, it's having an effect on you. Just hearing the Word of God is impacting you and affecting you. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says this of your Bible, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, the Bible is self-propelled. Expose an open heart to its message, 
and it will slowly yet powerfully transform that person into a better person. It will cleanse their mind. It will purify their actions. It all happens through the cleansing that comes to the Word of God. Well, preparation A is be washed. Preparation B is be dressed. Verse 7 tells us, And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded himself with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head. Also on the turban, on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. In other words, the priests got dressed. They put on their uniforms. And, of course, we studied back in Exodus chapter 28 all of the special clothes that were designed for the priest. Do we have the picture of the priest? There he is. You remember Tabernacle Ken? Looks like the Ken of Barbie and Ken, but that's what the priest looked like. Moses says, now it's time to get dressed. Put your uniform on. But there's a lesson here for us. To be prepared to do priestly work for God, we too have to wear the proper attire. We have to put on Christ. We have to see ourselves in Christ Jesus. Do you think of yourself as a child of God? When you're at work, do you see yourself as an employee? Do you see yourself tonight as a student or as a sports jock or as a musician? Or How do you see yourself? We need to see ourselves as a child of God. We need to put on Christ. We need to see ourselves as heirs of righteousness, as clothed in His goodness. Have you swapped your sinful rags for the robes of righteousness? If not, why not? They've been paid for you. They've been bought by the blood of Jesus. They're now waiting for you to put them on. Here's how you do it. You put on the robes of righteousness through two things, through faith and frequency. It takes faith to believe it's true, that I am now dead to sin, that I am now alive to God. That takes faith. But it also takes frequency. It takes thinking it enough in my head to program it in so that it becomes my reflexive action. The conclusion that I immediately come to when confronted by this world. It takes faith. It takes frequency. Well, preparation B is get dressed. Preparation C is in verse 10. Be anointed. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointing the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some on it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils and the laver and its base to set, consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. We've already talked about our need for the Holy Spirit. But you are prepared to do a work for God only when you have been filled by the Spirit of God. Guys, all the education, all the participation, all the perspiration cannot replace the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. Preparation D is to be a team. Verse 13, Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses, and he brought the bull for the sin offering. Notice Aaron had help in his priestly work. His sons had been called to serve alongside him. And let me say, 
No matter what God has called you to do, 99% of the time, He has called someone else to do it with you. Serving God is almost always a joint activity. It's something we do together, not alone. Remember, God works through teams. And preparation E is to be dedicated. Verse 14, Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. And then verse 15 through 21 tell, tells us what Moses did with the bull and one of the rams, that he offered the bull as a sin offering, and then he took that first ram and offered it, offered the bull as a sin offering, took the first ram and offered it as a burnt offering. And then verse 22, he says, And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. Also, he took some of its blood, and this gets weird, but follow it, and he put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Notice Moses dedicated Aaron in three ways. He put the blood in three places. He put it on the tip of his right ear so that he would only listen to the word of God. He put it on the thumb of his right hand so that he would only do the will of God. And he put it on his big toe of his right foot so he would only walk in the ways of God. Oh, how we need to be dedicated to God in those same three ways. Lord, take my ears and let them hear only what you speak. Take my hands and let them only move to do your will. Lord, take my feet and where I go and make everything about me pleasing to you. Lord, I want to be dedicated to you from my head to my toe, my big toe. Verse 25. Then he took the fat in the fat tail, all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and their fat, and the right thigh, and from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil, and one wafer, and put them on the fat and on the right thigh, and he put all these in Aaron's hands and in his son's hands, and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took from them took them from their hands and burned them on the altar on the burnt offering. They were consecrated offerings for a sweet aroma. That was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. In other words, the second ram, the ram of consecration, was also a peace offering. And remember what you do with a peace offering. You share it. You eat it. Which brings us to preparation F, be hungry. By now it had probably been a long day. I mean, this preparation had caused some exhaustion. And that's why the priests needed to be fed. And so verse 31 tells us, And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, 
and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his son shall eat it. What remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. I want you to understand, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher who gives and gives and gives and never spends time with God himself is headed for disaster. If you're going to feed others, you first have to feed yourself. Preparation for ministry begins with fellowship with God. And so here the priests are, are called to the table. You need to eat. If you're going to be dealing with these sacrifices, you first have to eat of the sacrifice yourself. Well, preparation G is in verse 33. Be patient. You shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord is commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall abide at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die. For so I have been commanded. And here's a principle we also don't need to forget. When it comes to serving God, waiting always precedes working. Our timing is not God's timing. When God calls us to a task, that calling is not necessarily a permit to begin. Often there is a wait involved. And so we need to slow down. We need to be patient. We need to wait on God. Verse 36. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. They made all these seven preparations. And here they are again, if you're taking notes. Preparation A, they washed. Preparation B, they dressed. Preparation C, they were anointed. Preparation D, they were a team. Preparation E, they were dedicated from head to toe. Preparation F, they were hungry. Preparation G, they were patient. And preparation H, in great agony, they were suddenly comforted. And if you didn't realize there was a preparation H, then count that a great blessing. And if you saw that coming, You've been listening to me for too long, and your mind is now as warped as mine is. Forgive me. In chapter 8, the priests are prepared. In chapter 9, the priests are presented. And it came to pass on the eighth day. Remember, remember another high priest was presented on the eighth day? Jesus, our great high priest, heaven's high priest, rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which would have made that the eighth day. So on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. 
Now, the priest had just been given these instructions on how to implement these sacrifices. And immediately, God gives them an opportunity to practice what they've learned. Before the day is done, they will have offered the sin offering, the burnt offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering. Four of the five sacrifices will be offered this day. And notice the amazing promise, verse 4. The Lord will appear to you. Verse 5. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. You know, it's interesting. There was another day when all four of these sacrifices were offered to the Lord. At the cross on Calvary, a burnt offering and a sin offering and a grain offering and a peace offering were offered to God at the same time. And on the cross, God's glory appeared. You remember the testimony of the Roman centurion that Randy sang about tonight. He was standing guard, and as he witnessed the earthquake and the three hours of darkness and the gracious words that Jesus spoke and the composure of our Lord himself, he had witnessed those four sacrifices, and on that day he too saw God's glory. Well, verse 7 tells us, And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them, as the Lord commanded. Aaron therefore went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood, put it on the horns of the altar, and poured the blood at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned with fire outside the camp. You know, it's interesting that there are Jews today who are looking to rebuild the temple to reestablish the sacrifices and the priesthood. We, in fact, went to the Temple Institute there in Jerusalem when we were over there in May, and we visited the place where uh, they're actually making a lot of the implements that will be used in this prophetic future temple. But it's interesting, those Jews pay special attention to this chapter because this is one of the only places where we get a play-by-play -play of a Levitical sacrifice. They hope that this chapter will become a template for their sacrifices when the time is right. Well, verse 12 says, And he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar. Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. You know, it's interesting, a blood, I'm sorry, a bull holds three gallons of blood. One bull holds three gallons of blood. That's a lot of blood. And the sacrifices that were offered on this day were just the beginning. Multiply three gallons by thousands of people each day, by 365 days a year, by 1,500 years and you begin to realize just how blood-stained a religion Judaism was. 
the Jews of all people understood the necessity of a blood sacrifice for forgiveness so that when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Jews should have recognized him and known exactly what he was sent to do. Well, and he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. I suppose the entrails are the equivalent of calf chitlins or something. Then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood, which he sprinkled all around on the altar, and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail which covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and they put the fat on the breasts. Then he burned the fat on the altar. But the priest and the right thigh Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. Verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and peace offerings, and Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Moses is at the barbecue. Aaron is at the barbecue. The people of Israel are at the barbecue. The only one who is missing is God. And when God shows up at this barbecue, he is going to make quite a splash. It's interesting. Moses provided the grill. He had the altar made. Aaron and the people provided the meat. But guess what God brings to the barbecue? The fire. Verse 23. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I would assume so. God's glory appeared. The fire fell like rain. And the sacrifices were charred sitting there on the altar. Hey, the first day on the job and these priests end up with a char-grilled sacrifice. I want you, before you close your Bibles, take note of this. There are three times in Scripture when God dedicates a house of worship. Three times in Scripture. And each time, He brings down fire from heaven on the sacrifice. Fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. Here was the first time at the tabernacle. It happens again when King Solomon dedicates the temple. And it happens a third time in Acts chapter 2 with the New Testament temple, the church. For when the church is dedicated and anointed by the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, fire again falls from heaven in the form of flicking flames that land on top of the heads of the disciples, the same disciples who were there as living sacrifices unto the Lord. You know, this is a pretty impressive debut for Aaron and his sons. I guess you could say the priesthood is off to a glowing start. 
But fire will fall again in chapter 10, and this time for a much different reason. Aaron's sons are about to join the barbecue, but not as priests, as meat. And that's what we'll pick up in chapter 10 in two weeks. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for the many, many lessons we've touched on tonight. Lord, I pray that you would wash us. 